It was chance, not choice, that made me human instead of an amoeba or a blade of grass. I had nothing to do with it. Marty Rubin. Bending, not breaking. Season 6, Episode 9. The Stakeout. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are here to talk more about the legend of Korra. Yeah, we've been talking about the Korra a lot. Can because it's it? great. Yeah. And I'm firmly on the side of it is better than Avatar The Last Airbender at this point. Ooh, shots that's, fired. That's not that that's bad, because it's clearly not. We clearly love it. Yeah. But I think I'm at a point in my life where I think Korra is the better show. I don't not agree. You don't not agree. Yeah. So you agree. Yeah. Okay, great. Cool. Well, the double negative. Well, we've it's been just the two of us. Just, just the two of us. Yep. Uh, on this podcast, we have yet to build any sandcastles specifically in the sky. Um, but we've got a guest today. We do! And who do we have with us? Y'all, you know this person. You love this person. They've been a guest before. Friend of the podcast. They're a friend of the pod. <laughs> They're wonderful. They are fully equipped to discuss this episode because they've done a lot of school in a similar program as me. They went to, you know, divinity school. They went to school and got their master's in social work. And now they're a PhD candidate. Ladies, friends, gentlemen, gentlemen, we are ready for you to meet Indira Eudofia. Indira, how are you today? Well, I'm almost a candidate. <laughs> I'm almost there. We we got maybe about two months of me doing defense, and then I can call myself that officially, officially. But ah, hey, y'all! I jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Welcome just gonna need back. no. I needed that kick in the. I needed that kick to get me over the finish line. You have no idea. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to hear like that that phrasing. Be like, oh yes, I am, or I will be very shortly. I'm so soon, <laughs> so soon. We like to be hopeful about the, the near future. It's good to have things to look forward to. We talked about that in a recent episode. Listen, yeah. it's all manifestation. We're manifesting. <laughs> we are. We are manifesting. I'm manifesting for you. I want this for you. This is great. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But hey, but everyone. We got to be confident, but not overconfident, right? That's what we're going to talk right. about today. Right? We're going to talk yes. about that. You, Perfect uh, segue. Indira, you picked a lens for this episode. What lens did you choose? Hubris. Um, hubris. We, I had a, so I dance between hubris and confidence, and I think this will come up in our discussion today because, you know, it it was like, when does confidence become hubris? And I think this episode does a really good job of dancing the line between what happens when we get overly confident. Mm. Um, yeah and so yeah here here there's definitely some moments that i picked out Um, one or two (laughs) well before we get to those ben you have the task today i do of recapping this episode i'm so excited in 30 seconds i got this are you ready i've been i was born ready that's that confidence we love hopefully I don't know. Maybe that will turn into hubris. Who knows? Let's see where you land on this. 30 seconds (laughs) on the clock, and away we go. 
Yeah, so Team Avatar searches for Iwei, they find him, and then they stake him out in the Misty Palms Oasis after Bo Lin gives some Nuk Tuk autographs, and then Lin is mad at Su Yin as usual, and then Bo Lin loses a lot of Pai Shou to the strategy queen Asami, and Korra gets impatient and chases Iwei into the spirit world, and then his soul is evicted to eternal suffering by Zaheer. Korra and Zaheer have a nice, lovely chat about the Red Lotus while Gazan and Mingwa dominate Mako and Bo Lin, Five and seconds Asami left. escapes with Korra only to be caught by the Earth Queen Bingo. Well done. I mean, wow. that was well that was well done. I'm just That's, saying that might be the best recap you've ever done. I mean, wow. I am, I, I don't want to me sound egotistical or overconfident or cocky <laughs> or full of hubris, but Sounds like you're defining it. So let's officially define it. What is hubris? I mean, Indira, do you want to define it or do you... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we have, we can do a Webster's Dictionary's definition, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what I think. Um, but hubris is excessive pride or self-confidence yeah. or uh, pertaining to excessive pride toward the for, towards or defiance of the gods leading to nemesis. Um, I would say, right, that that's a big part of it. A part of it is this excessive nature of feeling confident um and i would say excessively prideful to the point of uh, moving towards the point of like illogic like not moving in logic like you're not thinking about other possibilities you know um yeah so just being too big for your britches yeah, I think that's the a good connotative way to can like think about it. It's just you're you're being too big for your britches here. Yeah. yeah, I think for or, me, like, like I kept saying, you got too much dip on your chip. Like, you know, it's just like <laughs> you know, you go, you, it's like too much. You go in for the queso, and if you put too much, if it's too heavy, it's gonna break. Totally making your like that's what I think hubris turns into. It's um, over investing or overthinking the moves I'm that forever, you're making. Ever gonna think of like snapping a chip in dip because i tried to get too much and and as that is now the metaphor in my head for hubris for the rest of my life yeah like i, I think it, the the second definition you provided is really interesting for me um it has i mean so etymologically it has greek roots and okay. it's in defiance of the gods right so okay. it's it, back in that time it was used in that way and think about like icarus and daedalus flying too close to the sun like that's you had some little bit of hubris there, buddy. Like you're in defiant of these these beings that are so powerful that they control the world. And I think that's really interesting when you put it in today's context and with, you know, God and religion and all the all of the things that are there spiritually, where if you believe in God and you believe that God is omnipotent and all powerful and everywhere and omniscient and all the things, all the omnis, then all of a sudden being Claiming hubris is claiming astronomical <laughs> amounts of confidence mm -hmm. to the point of like you think you're going to rule the world, and yeah, that's an interesting thing to consider. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think you have a good thing that you're pointing out, and this is something that I think we can talk a little bit more about. Right? Is like when you're when you have high confidence and strong conviction, how quickly do you get to hubris if you're not careful? Like it's very easy to kind of lose the main plot of why you do certain things when you have that kind of like overconfidence 
mixed with this high level of conviction that there's only one way to like be and exist. And I think that shows up a lot. And the offense is the thing that undoes, you know, certain types of ideologies or belief structures that may have had a point. Yup. Yep. Well, I mean, you're you're alluding to it and dancing around it. Let's go straight in. Let's dive in. What are some of those moments that you're re referencing? I'd love to let's let's do it. Yeah. So I think the major one, let's talk a little bit about like Zahir and Iway, right? Like I think that the plan, right, had a lot of hubris to begin with that I'm going to that I'm the only one who can kind of infiltrate the city and cause and all, they were almost successful, right? but they, they were didn't so take close in, right but they didn't take into account other people's strengths or things that could have possibly went wrong right like the perceptiveness of it even Iway being in the spirit world like well no one followed me I destroyed all the evidence like you didn't think that going up against the avatar that they you know Cora may have some extra um about her <laughs> and this team of people that has surrounded her including a detective like you don't think that they would have thought to go after you, given how precocious Cora is? You know, I think that there was a lot of assumptions that are constantly being made. And again, strong convictions around their beliefs centered around the Red Lotus, high, high confidence that their way is the only way that can make it showed up in this really way where I like gets yeeted into the spiritual void. <laughs> sure, sure does. Well, and it, to me, one of the things that blows my mind in this episode is if I am on the run from the Avatar, I'm probably not going to go take a stroll around the city that I'm hiding in to, like, go get a snack. You know what I mean? Like, things that, like, he's just walking around this town and, and grabbing food. Well, and, and, like, and, like, that's the thing I wouldn't be – if I was in hiding and I think I got to a place where I wasn't seen, I'm then not going to, like – all right, let's uh, let's meander. Let's explore a little bit. Let's treat this like a vacation. Or not let me not make a name for myself by insulting the people who are hiding me, right? Correct. Like, right. yeah. Uh, hey, this dude with a nose ring uh, really thinks a lot about himself. Oh yeah, he insulted me. He called me a liar. Yep, that's the guy. <laughs> like, cool. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm hearing that's tied to this to this hubris is this assumption there's like I, the word assumption has been thrown around a few times and how the when we are overconfident to the point of hubris what we have done is we have assumed too much or too little of either ourselves or the person we're considering and in iway's case it sounds like he has assumed that his methods are so thorough that there is no possible way that he can be followed right so it's an, either an over assumption of himself or an under assumption of Korra and Korra team avatar or maybe a little bit of both um and I'm, I'm curious for either of you if there's a leaning for for you is is Iway so full of himself that he thinks he's incredible or is he thinks so little of team avatar that he thinks there's no possible way that could get to him. Does that make sense? Or yeah. is there another option? I think it's, I, I think it's more of the second than the first. I think it's a both. And, but I think a lot, I think what makes it hubris, right. Is the, is the diminishing of the belief and the value of the other party that you're engaging with that you think you can, 
you know better, you can do better, you are better than the other person and you will best mm. that other person, right? It's like you totally, you can't have overconfident. I think the line between like, you know, just having a high sense of like self-esteem and confidence and hubris is the act of diminishing the other party that's implicated in your actions. Yeah, I really like that distinction because overconfidence and hubris can be intermingled in common parlance, right? But if we throw in that aspect of hubris is when you're thinking less of the other person and they are being diminished, that that's what makes it hubris. That feels that feels like it gives it a little bit more of a sinister uh, aspect to it, but it also rings true for this, again, second definition of in defiance of the gods, right? Mm, when to I'm the point of bringing a nemesis. Else, yeah, exactly. To, exactly. Yes. I, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It always landed for me that Iway just thinks very highly of himself. I can tell when people are lying. I'm this official. I can hide my Jeep behind one rock and, and think that no one's going to find it ever. Um, and props to Naga. We don't get enough love for Naga. Uh, we get a lot of Naga in this episode. It's a, it's a it, her, I mean, they, Naga's used as a tool in this episode. I don't think Naga ever gets the personality that, that they deserve, uh, throughout mm -hmm. this show, but yeah, I'm going to hide my Jeep behind a rock. Cool deal. No one's going to find me. I'm going to go stroll through town. I'm going to go meet with the person, the, uh, with the leader of the Red Lotus that I just failed and not expect for me to get thrown <laughs> into a spirit of forgotten souls or the, yeah. and so like, mm -hmm. I think, I think I've always disliked Iway. <laughs> so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming the worst. Um, but there's also, cause there, that moment where Iway is talking to Zaheer and Korra just yells Zaheer as she's in hiding. Like, I think there, there, is there a little hubris there as well in this? Like I can go yeah. after and take on this, person who has really proven to be a menace um and and stay out of our reach and is able to get an almost kidnap me and i'm gonna go take count on this person one-on-one -on -one in the spirit world seems like a bold choice um, you, i'm so glad you said that because as much as i stand my queen cora um bisexual icon extraordinaire just all of overall baddie we speak your name and we love you she mm, had mm, so mm. much hubris in this episode. Right. And to be fair, all the time. Like this is all the a time. constant you struggle know, for her. Yeah, and I think that I and I and again, it goes back to this idea of power, right? And what we, we what we think about our perceived power and how that then you know shapes and shifts, right? How we diminish the worth of others. Like you know, there were multiple ways in which she had been cautioned, right? To kind of let's dial it back, right? Or let's slow it down. You don't have to kick the door down and you don't have to jump headfirst in the spirit world. Like you you still don't really know all that there is to know about the spirit world. You're still kind of learning that space too. Someone, how do you not expect that someone may have more mastery of a skill that you struggle with? that you're going up against, right? If this person sets up a conference in the spirit world, first of all, didn't know you could do that, just set appointments to you know, <laughs> link up at a random spot in a spirit realm. So if someone can do that and you, you know, you're barely figuring out that landscape and the relationships between the spirits and you know, all that, why would you not presume that they may have more mastery around being in the midst of both worlds than you. 
because he can teleport is what we learn which is us again a thing i didn't know you could do in the spirit world is just kind of like teleport from one side of the to the other in the spirit world with control, yeah. um which is a new thing and i also don't love that she decides to sit in the same like hotel room as i way uh in that moment too like if we like go to go somewhere else and just maybe the door next door <laughs> like i just don't it seems like a weird choice to me to be like i'm gonna i'm gonna tell i'm gonna stay here right next to this dude we're trying to capture who's linked up with these other baddies um seems like at least afterwards and hindsight might be 2020 but that also seems like a bold move yeah because what would have that. happened if you both woke up in the same room like i you there just wasn't a lot of fleshed out plans well, part of me, I can get it. I, I right. can defend that, I think. Because I, I think Asami, Bolin, and Mako are in that room with Korra, right? I, I wonder if that's just having faith and trust in her friends and knowing that mm. the three of them are likely capable of taking Ai Wei on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that's something I can get behind. The thing that I, I want to circle back to is what you said, Indira, is... Cora's hubris is really interesting to consider because she has been grappling with being super talented and powerful her entire life, has gotten beaten and bested by Amon, and then won. So, like, okay, I really am good at this. Like, maybe some humility learned there, and then beaten and bested by Unalak. And then one with Janora's help. So you would think there's a little mm-hmm. bit more humility there. And then what we're going to see is that she's going to get to this point has always come out on top. And so I wonder if this idea of being constantly the winner <laughs> is giving her a false sense of I can always assume that I'm going to win and c- come out on top. And we, we mm-hmm. know that after this season, that's not necessarily true. But mm-hmm. um, I'm just curious about that because it feels like this is learned behavior rather than – I don't know about a ra- – I don't know if I have a finishing way to finish that thought. It feels like this is learned yeah. behavior. No, and I do think so, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a positive reinforcement, right, of a negative behavioral trait. Um, and so when we think about the things that we do, right, if we have this – belief structure right that's then you know that's then followed up by our actions and we are rewarded for impulsivity we're rewarded for kind of you know the fact that like we're always going to come out on top it's very easy to then create a pattern behavior of just kind of running into burning buildings and expecting not to get burned every time right and it only takes one negative experience to kind of shift you back to a reality. And I think what has happened is that the more that, you know, while things do turn out okay, it, they do come at a cost, right? As we are evident, as Zaheer is kind of talking through the fullness of his plan in the spirit world, and then like kind of names like, we're gonna have to take you out to kill the yeah. avatar as a as a entity right? Like you will always be a liability and the avatar itself will be a liability. Um, So we kind of just want to like, you know, knock you off now so we don't have to worry about what does it mean for that to continue, right? Um, Yeah. And I think that's the first time in which 
that reality became something that was like, oh, I really messed up. <laughs> um, you know, like, oh, I didn't think about the fact that like, there may not be, there may be a time where like the things that I have relied on may not be the things that I can continue to rely on. Yeah, it's interesting to me. There's a moment in this episode, especially after the Red Lotus almost gets her out of Zalfu, uh, for her to jump in there, because I think there is a hubris of her underestimating Zaheer's abilities. Um, this Here's a group that snuck into Zalfu, find a way, found a way in, even with all of these guards, even with seven, eight, Ten master vendors around her. The safest city in the world. She was still almost kidnapped um, and completely mm-hmm. knocked out. And then she seems very surprised that he tricked her. <laughs> it was just like, what? that was like mm-hmm. the one moment where she's like, you, you tricked me. And I just wanted to be like... But she wasn't awake for that, yeah. so she couldn't fight back, <laughs> right? Well, the, but that's what it's like, where she's like, you mm-hmm. tricked me. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, the villain did a villain thing. <laughs> so like... Right. It just, it, there's a there's a little bit of like her clearly not expecting that this person who's proven to be a master strategist he's he's infiltrated the air temple they've gotten into Zalfu, um, and she's still surprised that they were able to find her next to Iway in the real in the real world uh, is mm-hmm. still mind boggling to me that that was something that was so surprising to her and I think it is that that hubris of diminishing his capabilities and the Red Lotus's capabilities, um, mm-hmm. which is yeah that's a moment to me <laughs> I. I have to keep from laughing. I chuckle every time I watch it. She's just like, you tricked me. And I'm like, just like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that's what that's what they do. What they villains, trick you. Like... What villains do. <laughs> and we... I think the but I think the converse happens as well. So, you know, I, I think everyone diminishes everyone for the sake of their own mm-hmm. delusions. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a thing like that we because, you know, is it just is it a is it a confidence thing is it a self-talk thing of wanting to be good at something and so just this natural ability of like when i play a video game i want to be better than the person next to me when i uh, do this workout i want to do it faster than the person next to me is that and i'm curious how much like that just kind of plays in so you know here i am fighting the avatar i need to prove that i'm a better strategist or a better fighter and i in, in i'm telling myself stories to make that true for whatever reason, whether that's because I need to have confidence to do this thing or because I genuinely need to prove I'm better than that individual. And I wonder how that bleeds into how we navigate life. Mm. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, then I was to say, I think that there's something to be said, right? I think everybody wants to believe, especially if it's something that they truly desire, um, something that they're going for, people want to believe that they have the capacity to win, right? Like if the converse is true and there's a lack of self-esteem, right? It makes it very difficult for you to, one, believe in possibility, but also act on that possibility. So I don't think it's necessarily that confidence inherently, it's not the confidence. I think the way, I, the reason why I'm saying like maybe hubris is a better name for what we see displayed in like multiple areas, right? Is that it comes it comes at the cost of like of like of of, of acknowledging risk, right? Yeah. Like I can be Agreed. over I can be confident and believe in my ability and still acknowledge that there's a potential or there are risks associated with me gaining whatever victory or advantage I'm trying to seek. Yeah, I think the same does not go into place with hubris. 
Yeah, I think that's that's the deal for me also thinking about There are so many other instances too, and thinking about this whole encounter between Bolin and Asami. If we dive into this mm-hmm. in Pie Show, yeah, right? um, I love this moment. Yeah. Like this, can I just also name that Bolin really worked my nerves this whole episode? Bolin so has been I... working my nerves this whole season. <laughs> ooh, I am like, ooh, I just need, I just need this, this, this to end. Yeah, it just it just feels like Bolin is really really capturing men. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, frankly, like it, all of the toxic traits that a lot of men have, Bolin seems to have in this whole series and I think it manifests mm-hmm. when he's with Ginger in uh season 2. I think it manifests all in this season, uh especially in this encounter where it just feels like a little bit of mansplaining. Uh, well, I don't, I mean, I'm really good at this. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, there is no entertaining the possibility that Asami is good at Pai Show here. Uh, I mm. learned from Shady Shen, uh, I'm really good. It's just like, you have no idea. You've never played Asami in this game before, and you're just going to assume, like, there's there's the, the audacity. Like, and... Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm I, glad Pabu jumped on the game board before he got a chance to win. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Oh. Right. Right. So that's something that I wonder if there's a connection. Let me let me ask you both this. It, is hubris um, and audacity, are they in relationship? Or is that just Bolin here? <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it, I think it's definitely in relationship, right? Like, I think part of the uh, part of the rub, right, of this particular um, this particular dynamic, right, is that it's okay to be audacious as far as like daring to believe, but being audacious and having audacity, there's a fine line that gets crossed, right, yes. where too much audaciousness creates this like you got some nerve. And yeah. not in like the like daredevil sort of way. Yeah. Um, I, I and I don't know where the line is. I just know that once the line is crossed, it's very, very evident. Well, and I I think again, it it goes back to what we learned, I think, at the beginning of this conversation, which is when the other person is diminished in our assumptions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I, I really think that's when it becomes that's that line. Right. I can be like, well, I, I think I'm really good at this game and I'm, I'm not optimistic about your chances, but that's, that's one thing versus like, I'm uh, really good at this and you don't have a chance. <laughs> right. Like it's like, there's yeah. a, there's a completely, there's no acknowledgement or possibility that you could lose. And that is like this. I think that's what it is when there's a certainty, an element of certainty to it. Right. That mm-hmm. is when it becomes problematic. And that's what I was uh, right. at the beginning of the absolutism, like or this idea of like, I'm the right one. This is the right thing. This There's is the no chance thing. that nobody follows me. Always a red There's flag no chance you can win. Correct. And I think that's always a red flag. And I think mm-hmm. that that's also, it points to hubris, right? When someone says, I'm the only one with the answer, this is how it's done. It's funny. I've, I've been climbing a lot recently, rock climbing, and it, uh, it doesn't matter how good I think I'm getting. There's always an 11 year old who can do something <laughs> I can't do. 
right? And so, I, and, I, and, and I think that that's um, that's a part of that is is staying humble in those things. It doesn't matter if I like, oh man, I just did the best route of my life. There's always a route I can't do that an eight year old is like just flies up, and I'm like, oh, good for you. <laughs> like, um, good for you. And, and I think that it's nice to have things in our lives. That, like, yes, we want to be supported, and we know we always need to know that we're enough and, and worthy of love. And I, and that's an absolute thing that I think has to happen. Uh, and it is nice to also have other factors in my life that like humbles me, right? Like going on a three mile run and I'm like, okay, I need to do this more. <laughs> right? Like I like having those things that are like, Hey, keep yourself in check. It seems like a nice little, like a, a balanced thing to have. Um, but yeah, I, one of the things I do like about the pie show game is I love the concept that they are both, right in the sense of they both have rules that they are mm-hmm. swearing that is the correct way to play and i love that both of them get checked on like no it turns out culturally there are hundreds of ways to play this game and i'm like that's a i like that add-in i like well, that fun aspect of and that's such a small moment in it this, is but it's so important because mm-hmm. i i think one of the things that I have learned more and more as I have been through school and I have been educating myself is that multiple conflicting things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard. (laughs) Like that's really difficult to hold intention when what you, when you were so certain before. Right. And when you learn something that is also true, that conflicts with your belief, it can be like existentially, it can, like a crisis moment. Mm-hmm. It really can. Yeah. And this is a, such a small thing that is pointing to a much bigger lesson here. And I think that is something that is really a teacher for me in avoiding hubris, which is realizing that even though what I think might be true is true, there also can be things that are against that and counter to it that are also true, which is like, ew, I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same. I I really, I really like what you said, like that there, there are multiple ways that we have to be able to hold truths and by holding the multiple truths theory, right. That helps us from, from getting overly confident, confident, right. Like, I can be just as right and someone next to me could be just as right. And just as wrong. <laughs> and therefore just as wrong, right? And what does that mean? Um, and I think a good a good thing that kind of points to like that small game lesson being the overarching theme of the episode is right, is like as the here is talking about the Red Lotus and he's like, you know, you don't want tyrannical world leaders right and you're kind of like yeah you know, I, don't, I, I don't that's that's true there are always going to be somebody and there's like let's kill him it's like whoa wait like i understand your logic i yeah. just didn't understand the outcome that you got to based off of your logic well this is um, this is becoming one of my it's a trope that we see in television a lot and i know we lifted it up before but this like this left mm-hmm. far leftist ideals and i'm like those are all things that i agree with that we and need then, and we then need they're those. always like and murder and you're like no <laughs> we stop <laughs> we stop before the murders all right like there are other ways but I, but in television it's always like this person who's got this really good idea and you're kind of like that's that doesn't sound wrong like zahir's not 
incorrect. The Amon bot- wasn't the incorrect, bottom right? Ring, like the bottom mm-hmm. ring is suffering and needs to be freed, and the. Uh, uh, um, but he didn't do it with the help of the bottom ring, which I think is one thing. But then at the other side of it too, it's just like mm-hmm. and the murders, and you're like, no, no. Um, but I if feel you like you just that... dialed it back from murder. <laughs> yeah, I think we were almost there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I think it's interesting too because Cora makes the same assumption as we do, right? As the mm-hmm. as the viewer, and part of it is the way that it's written leads us to assume that that's what's going to happen, and that's what's problematic mm-hmm. for me is. Mm-hmm. You know, Zaheer doesn't say he's going to kill them. He says true freedom exists when we are, will be without oppressive governments. And then Korra's like, but if you destroy them, we'll be in all disarray. And he's like, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say we're going to kill them. But he does agree with that, right? So, Which is one of those things where it's just kind of in that moment. I'm like, when he, when he when she's like, but if that happens, then there'll be chaos. And he's like, yes. And I'm like, well, not necessarily. Yeah, part, Everyone, like, we're <laughs> jumping into a binary, and I think we can find some middle ground. And that's what's problematic here right. is that they—, they they lead us into this binary because Cora could have been like, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I don't like oppression. <laughs> and then he would have been like, so you agree we want to kill everybody, right? And she would have been like, no, that's no. not what I no. want, <laughs> right? Uh, and so I, I no. think uh, how do we – and I think this is why the, the vitriol of online debate within the fandoms is really toxic because people fall into the binary trap of – yeah, I think Zaheer was right. We really should kill all the oppressive gold. No, you, you, you are so close. <laughs> like, but the Earth Queen is also not the right answer, correct? But, right, like, but yeah, we we don't want to keep the Earth Queen around. Do we need to kill her to do that? There are other ways. Um, no, but exactly. like Nickelodeon. Like <laughs> we're not there. We're yet. not there Hold yet. On, but, but like Nickelodeon. Whoa. <laughs> there are some deaths this season that I'm like Nickelodeon. Impressed. <laughs> Yeah. Color me. I was impressed. (laughs) That's some Are You Afraid of the Dark stuff. We're going back to the early 90s for this. So I want to – there's so much we can unpack just in this scene between Korra and Zaheer Mm -hmm. and this conversation with the Red Lotus. I want to point to one more thing, Mm -hmm. which the purpose behind the Red Lotus and how it began is really interesting Mm -hmm. to me. Well, that just sounds like the White Lotus. Well, it's interesting because, like, the White Lotus, especially for those of you who have already read The Dawn of Yang Chin, uh, if not, I'm going to give you a it's, it's very on, minor spoiler. It's on my list. I can't run away from this conversation. I can't, I can't fast forward this. You're going to spoil something for it's me? It's a minor spoiler. Ugh. Uh, there is a lot of information that is interesting about how the White Lotus operates back in Yang Chin's time in this book and it's really interesting to me to put that in conversation with this because the way the white lotus operates then through avatar the last airbender and then almost con like completely different in the legend of Korra. they are glorified mall security in legend of Korra, and we've talked about that right we've talked about that in season one and it's really interesting because that is definitely not how they've always interacted and i think is right is right again we're pointing to something that mm-hmm. the purpose and the reasoning behind the organization shifted and someone was like this isn't right and i think that's legit so again the idea of these shows continuing to say we're going to do everything right except for kill people is really frustrating to me because it mm-hmm. it really helps train the audience we as viewers to see revolutionaries as a binary as one as binaries but revolutionaries as villains yeah 
it helps right. when we see revolutionary action, what we really see is villain. And it's really struck. I really struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Sorry. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about, <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, cause we talked about this right in the pride episode around, you know, thinking about this idea of what villains actually point us to when we think about our consciousness. I think what ends up be- getting uncomfortable, right. is like, everybody's kind of the villain in this situation. Right. And yeah. So like, you know, I, I don't, I think, I think I have gotten more comfortable with understanding how Cora can be viewed as a as an op or as as a villain, right? Yeah, yeah. Alongside, it's that it's it's just the battle of which 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 chaotic uh, good are we going to vote for, right? Yep. Um, or lawful evil are we going to kind of root for in the end? And I think that makes it easier for me to like be like oh i'm not necessarily demonizing zeer because i i'm i like i tell you i'm right up into the moment you know he air bends airs out of lungs i'm right yeah. there <laughs> up until that point maybe also <laughs> yeeting people into the fog of lost souls and yeeting people well you know uh, is, is it a victimless crime i don't know yeah i have i haven't figured out like what does a death in the spirit world actually mean? Like that also blew my mind. I was like, oh wow. So like, what's gonna happen to the body? Is it just gonna- yeah, I, was, I was still just chilling in that motel. Again, I will refer us to the Dawn of Yang Chin <laughs> for information on that. I'll not answer the question just to avoid more spoilers, but please, uh, yeah. that question is answered. <laughs> what's this, and, Okay, good. And so one of the things that this leads me to is we talk about as as the traditions of around the White Lotus and what it was to what it is and, not, and the ability to change and- how much does hubris play a role into our inability to want to change the structures and systems and things that are around us, right? If we, um, do we not acknowledge things that are wrong? Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's the, hubris? I think that's the hallmark of it though. For me, that's the hallmark, like the re- the refusal to change mm-hmm. one's positionality or to believe that the only thing that could happen is you your way being the only way for the rest of time as if, you know, needs don't shift. I think that's part of what makes hubris so dangerous, right? Is the inflexibility that it creates within within you as a person, but also in the scenario and how it plays out. Um, and it's also, it's, uh, it's why, right? Like if we think about towards the end, the here ends up with egg on his face because when Korra's out the spirit world, she's not with them. She's on a boat towards the Earth Queen. I'm on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, you know, very Hannibal Lecter X get up. But, <laughs> yeah. but like, I think that's part of it is like at every turn, it's like you just, you, you can believe something has happened. But if you think that the only way you're going to do it is like, I've got to kick down the door, right? I've got to jump into head first into the spirit world. I got to, you know, I'm going to dispatch my henchmen out and, you know, I'm going to get them with the element of surprise as if they don't have a skill set or a team of people, even though physically they were bested, other things happened, right? There's yeah. a lot of different enemies that that Corey has made. You're not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the other moments to me that feels like hubris, and this is not. This doesn't only happen in this show. I've I've definitely seen enough westerns where it happens, but uh, wanted posters, uh, assuming that they're out of fame. Oh, look how yeah, famous I am! Yeah, <laughs> like oh, Bolin. Well, oh, must uh, be a movie poster. And, and so one of the things I hate in this is <laughs> that he gets uh he gets affirmation in that later on in this <laughs> episode when they're like we're just really big fans, and I'm like, God, can we stop? Can we not fill his head up with this? Like, I would really almost would have wished you were bounty hunters. Um, it's like, interesting. But then it, also, did you see how he got the ick, how Bolin got the ick from it, though, once he got exactly what he was looking for? Yeah, he was not super excited about it once once it happened. Well, and that's something that's really interesting to me about this is thinking about when people don't, like, respect celebrities' boundaries, and are like your time is my time like they're out to eat minding their own business and like i'm gonna go all up in their business and say hey can you sign this hey can we get a picture hey can we do this hey can we do this and part of me is just like i as much as i want to do that with certain people i don't think i ever will <laughs> like i might wave and be like i'm acknowledging that i'm seeing you <laughs> if you want to watch an entire movie based on spectacle and what happens when we focus on it you can go see jordan peele's nope because mm. uh, that is almost exactly that is a uh, major theme in that is hey, what happens when we push things too far and what happens when we specifically focus focus on the spectacle or the celebrity um and it is totally worth watching so go check out nope um, and that's that and that's that that's my movie review of today <laughs> so can i talk I about someone I who's it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hubris in this character. It doesn't yes. seem like they have a lot of hubris. Yeah. The the bar the barman. No. But also yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Who are you? I gonna was gonna say? say Mako. Yeah. Mako is Yeah. Has Mako like shown growth this season? This episode in like, particular like is a shining really, beacon for Mako behavior. Feels like he's really <laughs> got it together and I don't know how to feel this is conflicting feelings for me. <laughs> He seems to be riding the logical train the whole episode. <laughs> he talks Bolin yeah. down. He talks Cora down. He is seems to be the voice of reason. He keeps notes in his logbook to make sure he doesn't make mistakes. Like, I'm just saying, this person is methodical and really considerate of other people and doesn't seem to overestimate his capacity to do things. Or, frankly overestimate Bolin or Cora or like I'm just and I'm impressed and he's certainly not underestimating Iway correct in, in, throughout this right so yeah you know that talk about someone who's conflicted me having to root for rooting for Mako this episode <laughs> major conflicted I'm even conflicted now giving him props um and again this goes back to I think what we were talking about when we were talking about the villain segment right like mm. At the end of the day, this is a member of law enforcement and this kind of like law enforcement being the rational, logical, methodical is not what's being reflected in our current political landscape. Agreed. And I wonder how the writing of that participates in a certain type of propaganda. <laughs> well, it does. And Bolin plays into it, right? Bolin's yes. all of it. I love it when you go policeman um yeah is like feels really dirty to me like <laughs> because yeah it just makes me feel real it. dirty i like ooh. Well, um, and to me it's yeah, this isn't policey this is 
that's not what he's doing, right? What he's doing is something completely different. He's acting outside mm -hmm. the law, actually, right? He is, mm -hmm. this is not policing. This is something completely mm -hmm. different. And so I, I think that calling it that, again, is that, that copaganda, so to speak, that you're, that you're speaking of. I 100% agree. I mean, the episode is called The Stakeout, right? Like, this is yeah. something that is... Mm -hmm. um, and I think it, it's similar to that binary. Is like, there are aspects of, like, wanting to do what's right and take care of people. And then there is modern-day policing, which is says it's doing that, mm -hmm. uh, but has shown us over and over again that it is not that. And we even see that in Korra at times, right? Especially in the first mm -hmm. season. Um, and so... But another person that I think... Uh, that, that I don't feel like it shows hubris ever is Asami. Um, but it, in, but yes. confidence has to be there, right? Because mm -hmm. for, for her, I'm always super impressed. She is navigating a fight scene in a battle with four master benders who are like throwing water around and like, and she is still finding a way for, she's like, no, I can be beneficial here. I can be supportive. I can be helpful. And, always holds her own and 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 i think that there's a confidence that is required there but i never see it drift into hubris i never see her underestimate others uh in this episode it's just she's figuring out the way that she needs to move forward and i appreciate that mm -hmm. yeah no she's great yeah yeah and i wonder how much right is it because of the idea of how power works in that world right um Asami is technically the only quote unquote normal one of the bunch, right? Yeah. No power abilities. Um, and with bending being so while it while it is, you know, still in a very like rare thing, it's so accepted that those who have bending power feels power up and over, right? This is the whole Anana argument. I wonder if that's the thing that keeps Asami's bending and uh, like hubris in check is this idea of like the the person like as soon as you add bending to this equation right something some extraordinary power that then creates a for lack of a better word god complex yeah i think you're right and and it's really interesting to revisit that paisho moment because <laughs> this is what i think separates confidence and hubris is bolin to me is the archetype of hubris here and mm -hmm. Asami seems like this is a, a confidence thing because Asami wins, right? Mm -hmm. I, so I, part of me wonders if the result of the Pai Show matches determines hubris versus, uh, because she's like, I, I'm going to smack you down too. Like she, she, mm -hmm. she throws some smack talk down to Bolin after his response. And so, it it but to me it's that feels more like confidence than it does like hubris when i think in our world we we you can notice hubris come off a little bit more when someone loses like if asami would have lost she because she was like you almost had me that like yeah, i think you might win right versus like oh well you're playing by different rules or oh well you know i got i got dust in my eye in this sports game or oh, oh i got hit you with sound a, like I, me i got hit with a blue shell or else <laughs> i i would have i would have won mario kart but i got hit with a blue shell right and so how often do we see people myself included justify the loss because i'm actually good but this thing happened that Ugh. is totally a part of this game and is a normal thing that i should have accounted for i feel called out um versus like oh, that's, i that's mean drag us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no i think i think you're absolutely right and again you're not diminishing 
the worth of your opponent Mm -hmm. for the sake of your confidence. Right. I can trash talk and be like, I'm going to get you. Like, you have no idea what I'm coming, bringing to the table. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm literally going to beat you because I'm very competitive. But I also don't under, if I lose the minute that I would run to the, oh, you're cheating, right? I am diminishing that person, that that person just got the best of me, right? And sometimes it's about just understanding. Sometimes you get bested and that's okay. Like there are so many different random things that could happen to impact how, how things turn out. And I'm okay if I get bested due to chance or due to skill, right? But I'm not going to diminish that other person if I get beat. I might pout about it, but I'm not going to say that like Mm. they didn't earn it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have two more small things. We got to go quick because it's almost break time. Okay. 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 I want uh, a spirit world versus in here versus in Atla. There is a, a, a big conversation around when you're in the spirit world, you're, you need to know where your body is in order to be able to return to it. Mm -hmm. We see that Mm -hmm. as a real problem with Aang, right? When I got to protect his body because if he's moves, then he's not going to be able to find it. That happens multiple times. And Korra, when she goes in and out of the spirit world has no issue going straight to her body. So I think my first question is, is this an evolution in spiritual training? Is this what what is happening here that allows that that change? And then I, that's the first thing I want to lift up. I'm, that's it's a question. I'm not. I'm I'm curious what y'all's thoughts are here. Yeah, doesn't Aang's like body eventually get pulled to it? Pull when like when Zuko has him, doesn't his like spirit just eventually just get like yanked to his body? Yes. Um. Like, even without Aang knowing where it is, it just kind of, like, happens. And so yeah. I wonder if they've realized that, like, oh, that's, your, your spirit will find your body eventually. It's all right. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I forgot what caused that. But that was a, a question in the past. Yeah. And so, like, I, I just wonder if I'm curious about that. Yeah, I just thought that maybe because the portal was opened mm. and there's free reign, it makes it easier now to Ooh, locate it between the worlds because of, like, heck, as yeah. a consequence to the Great Conversions. This is my new favorite theory. Thank you for solving that problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that that solves that solves a lot of issues for me. Great. Okay. Yeah. Next. Cool. Um, cool. 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 Is I I really want to acknowledge something that has happened recently that's very sad, which is uh, we didn't talk about Lin and Su Yin um, and mm-hmm. the <laughs> the potential hubris on both sides there of you know Su Yin saying, hey, nobody can control the Avatar, and Lin saying, oh, I can. I can try. Um, And then uh, vice versa, when uh, Su Yin kind of does take control and goes behind Lin's back, and like, you have the hubris to go behind my back? And there's this uh, interesting dynamic there, but I want to lift up the fact that the voice actress for Su Yin recently passed away um, due to a car accident, which is really sad. So I just want to be grateful for... Uh-huh. their life's work and specifically for their work in this show mm-hmm. yes so sad sorry my cat just exhibited some hubris mm. <laughs> sorry <laughs> um yeah so sad no, we'll send, uh, sending good I, vibes to the, uh, their family and 
Um, yeah, the Hacious family. I, yeah. I hope that that Anne uh, knew the effect that her work has had on people, and so. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to tackle before we move on to a quick break? Anything else we need to lift up in this episode? Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of hubris. Yeah, I just think that like the whole episode is a masterclass in it, um, mm. and the next episode will be the summation of that Ooh. of that teaching. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other, the big moment, the weird. It's not a big moment. It's a super small moment that makes me think of it that is worth lifting up is the shooing away of spirits. When looking at the map. Oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about it. Oh, that. yes. Like, like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> the spirit is like, I know where that is, but it is not communicating that well. And they're like, go, go away. That was go, on my list. And I this. didn't talk about that. Go, go away. <laughs> and you're just like, come on. Oh, that's the worst one, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, how, <laughs> how often is that true that we do that? And I, I think... And I think that's metaphorical too for the nudges we get in our instincts and our intuition yes. from... Uh, these instinctual learnings that we have gained and honed through our epigenetic, through our epigenetics and through our ancestors and through our heritage mm -hmm. that we have learned and grown and gained that we are just being like, no, I'm going to ignore that because I, that's inconvenient in this moment due to my <laughs> lack of awareness. Right. And ugh, yeah. that is just a, a I am so yeah. glad you reminded us of that. Cause I forgot. Well, we yeah, see, see that, that was, in the series yeah it's it's such a it that's the one that i think um you you spoke about being like kind of competitive and talking trash that's the one that kind of drug me the most because like we are taught not to listen to these instinctual urges or because of society not valuing the spirit world before now that they have this gift right of open communications and fluidity they don't they still can't appreciate it because they're yeah. willing to shrug it off for the sake, like you opened the door for this type of realm and world to exist only for you to dismiss it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, we could talk all day just about that moment. Okay. All right. I, mm, okay. We're going to have to. Work I'm going to. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think it's time. I think it's time. Great. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back in just a moment. for us we get a chance to uh you know take a little bathroom break but here we are we're back we're excited we're with you and indira is still here which makes it worth listening to so <laughs> a lot of people are like i don't need to hear about ben's bathroom breaks and they they turned off the <laughs> podcast yep uh 
But what we're going to do is we're going to go into, uh, we have a series of three shorter segments at the end of the podcast. This is your first episode. We have the first one, which is Twee and La, which is these are the things that push us away from the episode and the things that pull us in. Mm -hmm. And as you all have theoretically realized from our conversation in previous episodes is that most of the time we are not considering the writers in we are considering the the episode as it is uh and this gives us a chance to kind of step out and be like oh the music oh the writing oh the art the x y and z and then everything else that we also want to do but that's kind of what this segment is all about so what for us indira sunshine uh pulls us in or pushes us away you feel free to go with either but make sure you cover both yeah indira i'll let you start all right. So the thing that pushes me in is the characterization of Naga. Um, I just love the dogness that is being displayed in Naga's bare dogness area. <laughs> like it, you know, like I think we think of these beats and we know we have like things that we orient and think of in our mom world. But like Naga is such a dog in this yeah. episode in ways that I feel like we don't often consider or take it or like take into note that like this is very much a pet There's um and i just like the playfulness of naga like naga not just being a tool but like just being a playful animal mm-hmm. like in the hotel room yeah yeah there's two things that that makes me think of the the moment i i have a really big dog so this really speaks to me is the moment that naga like turns around and their tail smacks cora in the face, face is so <laughs> real like my dog is 120 pounds and like zero all, body awareness, zero awareness. And so like turns their face and then like smacks moves me in the, the head, moves the couch. like yeah. has definitely head butted me before just like, Oh, so that moment I was like, Oh, that's so real. Or Naga in the hotel room <laughs> or yeah. In the hotel, like laying out, c- taking over the entire bed and just like neck going in this weird angle. I, I, I think I'm just echoing and agreeing with you that, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't believe Core didn't have snacks. You know, I have no a treat. cat, so it, you know, our relationship is a little bit different, but I just, as someone who also adores dogs, I'm just like, oh, it just reminds me of just like why dogs are really cool and fun and cute. So that pulled me in. Um, the thing that pushed me away um, is kind of just bowling. I think the way... <laughs> that Bolin is characterized, how vapid Bolin is becoming. Um, It just, like, I think it's just, and again, this is what happens when we get influenced by power, but like, I I found myself every time he kind of started on his, you know, his haughtiness. I was just kind of like, oh, like, why? Yeah, so. In Naga, in for Naga, but a little bit out because of Bolin. Yeah, here. my out is also is the fans of Bolin in that sequence. I just didn't feel like it adds much to this specific episode. I get that it's like, oh no, bounty hunters are chasing us, but I think they could have just like put real bounty hunters chasing them, and then that would have been more exciting to me than like the fandom aspect of it. So that was just yeah, because like, it just reinforced <laughs> the delusion kind yeah. of to me. And we don't need that with Bolin. We don't need no. yeah. Um And then that, pie, <laughs> I, again, I think the pie show game and the, the concept of 
no, there's there's so many right ways to do this, depending on where you are. Is mm-hmm. it just a really subtle reminder, but like a super nice one of like, no, like we we can acknowledge that other cultures and other people, there's different ways to do things that are also correct. And I think that's a very important reminder. Um, and so that moment pulls me in. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think Zaheer is too OP. And like just too strong. I, yeah. It doesn't make sense that it he's this good. It doesn't make sense that he's this good. Mm-hmm. And I, I really struggle with it. And I, I've heard things that have helped the, the thought, but still doesn't seem to cross, like, complete the gap. Um, so being able to yeet someone into the fog of lost souls seems like that's ha- what uh, it's just too much. There's too much. There's been too much mm-hmm. spiritual things that have gone on that have not been possible. And then all of a sudden this guy comes along and can do, and it's like, are you like, mm, mm." and maybe that's my hubris for thinking I know everything about the spirit realm in this world by watching the show. But I, I, and I don't to be clear, but (laughs) man, you are going to be disappointed come episode 12. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, it just Mm -hmm. seems like there's a lot going on here that just seems like it's, I, I feel there was not enough. Maybe this is it. There's not enough explanation as to why Zaheer has these abilities for me, and that's mm-hmm. why I it pushes me well, away. Well, specifically because he was a non-bender, right? Because all the other ones, you're like, it makes sense that they're this good because they were like they just we assume that they Amon, were good when they got it captured. It has a full well, like, even like, like even um, Unalak, even even the rest of the Red Lotus. Yeah, like yeah, like they were all benders prior to this, right? Yep. So them being good is like, yeah, they probably just were good yeah i would have been way more compelled compelled by him being a master strategist and not being Mm -hmm. uh an incredible you know bender like again like the the whole narrative is of like ang spending his life becoming a master in these elements and then we have a master immediately upon receiving uh, anyway i this has pushed me away and continues to do so um Mm -hmm. that what pulls me in though is again this the story of the red Lotus and the, the beginning of it and the reasoning behind it is something that I'm like all about. Let's do it. Let's just do it without killing people. Um, but <laughs> so I I'm super into this and it, I'm really excited that this is what's being talked about and what's it's needed because I think that's what raises a lot of questions for the viewers of like, you're right. The earth queen is like, talk about hubris y'all <laughs> like um, needs to be in check. And this mm-hmm. is just putting a lot of tension that I really appreciate. So that is my my push and my pull. Good deal. Twee and law. Well, yeah. let's jump into devotion, our moment to think about what we want to do in the, in the real world. Uh, this time, we're talking about hubris through the element of fire. Um, ben, what you got? Yeah, I uh, felt dragged when you started dragging me. Uh, to be specific- fair, I did not specifically call you out. Yeah, but you did. <laughs> you did it without <laughs> saying my name. Uh, I am a sore loser. And I've been thinking about this for a while now. And um, I'm realizing that the things that I say at the end of that are often said where I think I don't. I think I perceive it to be said in a joking manner but I know that I'm not saying it in a joking manner, but I think I'm Mm -hmm. saying it in a joking manner at the time. 
And in hindsight, Mm. as I think about it, I'm realizing more and more that that is not true. Mm. And I want to do better. (laughs) And I want to be more aware of that feeling and why I feel the need to defend myself upon a loss mm-hmm. right and i i mm-hmm. i want to i want to really take time and i you know i there's ample opportunities for me i i have game nights on regular regularly so i i want to be very conscious and aware during those moments and really think about why i feel the need to uh either put people down or say say something snarky when it's really not helpful so i I just want to be careful and thoughtful around losses this week. That's that's what I want, want to do. And Dara, what about you? Yeah, I actually am going to, um, it's going to sound really, really backwards, but I'm actually going to work on my confidence um, this week. Um, I am going to turn up the heat on my confidence because I have been thinking as we've been dialoguing, as well as just like in my own personal work, that sometimes I have a tendency to try to undercut people's affirmation of myself Mm. for the fear of hubris, but it's actually an act of hubris to dismiss people's affirmation of me. Mm. So in order for me to like not actually walk in this hubris that I'm afraid of, I have to trust people's affirmations and belief in me and not assume that I know better than what people have affirmed within me. Does that make sense? I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that is my goal for the week is when people give me a compliment to honor that I can have that compliment without diminishing diminishing their affirmation and their intelligence and their gift of perception for the sake of me trying to appear humble. Here, here. Mm. False modesty, unbecoming of a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm, I, you know, I, I get to, I get to foresee and be a part of a lot of meetings and in, in my, in my work that I get to do, and I think that I can have a tendency to dominate those things, and so making sure that I'm not the voice that always feels like they're the right voice, uh, and making sure that I'm not diminishing the uh, attributes and abilities of others because I think that I have the right answer is something I want to be hyper focused on uh, throughout this upcoming week, and so that's going to be my practice. Y'all, we're so good at this. We this got is stuff, so cool. We got stuff to work on. We do. Uh, let's yeah. talk gratitude. I'm going to go first and say uh, Asami, just for all the things I talked about earlier, just the way that she shows up in the spaces uh, and the way that she gets to be supportive of one another. My confident um, queen. I'm very much uh, an Asami mm. fan, so that's going to be mine. Indira, how about you? Yes. I'm going to give gratitude to the spirit who tried. Um, <laughs> the, the spirit who tried that little blue blob they did their best. that little blue blob you know the little blue blob could have minded their business the little blue blob didn't care you know really had no stakes in the game but wanted to yield yield some information about their world and share it with even though it was dismissed so i'm just grateful for you know wanting to be willing to share in the world because if i was a little blue blob spirit i probably been like that is earth world problems that has nothing to do with me let me mind my business yeah this reminds me of a moment that we're gonna get with kai soon where he's like i i'm gonna help and then people are just not listening so 
you know, that's coming up shortly. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of that moment. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. For me, I am going to be audacious and be grateful for Mako. I, I think that, again, I, I said it earlier, but Mako is the voice of reason in this episode, which is like, huh. Uh, I, I think that this team in particular with Bolin and Korra needs people that are willing to balance their precociousness and their uh, audacity <laughs> with logic and reason. And I think he does that this episode. I'm, and I'm really grateful. I think his uh, outlook really did a lot to keep them safe this episode. So I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Well, look at us, y'all. That's the end of another episode. And Dira, thank you so much for, for joining us and being a part of this again. We always love having you on the show. Please come back more. Yes. Uh, we'll, we would love yes. to have you again for season four uh, or season, yes, season seven you. for us, but book four of Cora. Uh, uh, if you want to remind the listeners, where can they find you? If the, all the things that you would like to, to share with them. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at at Black Trauma Nerd. That's B-L-A-Q Trauma Nerd all together. Um, or if you are, you know, just trying to figure out who is this nerd with all these degrees, www.imudofia.com. Fantastic. And y'all know where you can find us, B&B underscore pod uh, on all of the socials. Feel free to like, rate, subscribe, review, do all of those wonderful things wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us out. Don't forget that there's Patreon available as well. Uh, where cool perks! You can join in on live episodes and everything else. So uh, check all those things out. Once again, I'm Sunshine Mayfield. And I'm Ben Pro. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye!